I'm Roberto. And I'm Brendan. And together, we're ranking the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin. This week, ruler number 16, Mstislav I. Also known as Mstislav the Great. You know, the last guy who was called the Great, he didn't impress me. <laughs> we'll see if Mstislav does, because he's known as the Great. But before we jump into today's episode, we want to let you know about Grey History, the French Revolution, and Napoleon. It's a podcast about the French Revolution and Napoleon. <laughs> and, um, and essentially, Will's podcast is fantastic and has everything you need to know about the French Revolution, Napoleon, and everything. And even better, you should listen to it before you watch Napoleon movies. So you can pick out all those inaccuracies that we love to pick out on history podcasts. I've enjoyed the first few episodes. I know you will, too. So give him a listen. And here's Will to tell you more. History isn't black and white. Yet too often, it's presented as such. Grey History the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. By contrasting both the experiences of contemporaries and the conclusions of historians, Grey History dives into the detail and unpacks one of the most important and disputed events in human history. From a revolution based on hope and liberty to its descent into the infamous reign of terror, there's plenty to discuss and plenty of grey to explore. One can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So if you're looking for your next long-form binge-worthy history podcast, one recommended by universities and loved by enthusiasts, then check out Grey History, the French Revolution today. Or simply search for the French Revolution. Okay, so, Brendan, uh, do you remember what we covered last time? Nope. <laughs> of course. It's been a while. It has been a while. It didn't help that I lost half my notes in a backup error. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had to redo my notes. So it took longer than before. Anyways, um, we covered Vladimir Monomak. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you remember about Monomak, Brendan? I remember a lot of fighting over cities. I mean, that's just this whole podcast so far. Didn't Monomak, he um, he was also a Tomes guy. I remember that. He was a Tomes guy, yeah. He was a, f- a relatively fair ruler. I remember that. Yep. Fairer to the common people as opposed to the nobility. I recall him being well-liked. He was well-liked. They actually asked him to be prince twice, and he refused him the first time. Um, but today we're going to talk about Monomak's son, Mstislav. And Mstislav, that's a name we haven't had for a ruler before. So do you know what that means? No. What does it mean, Roberto? It means we have to talk about their etymology. That That's what I asked. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I was trying to tell you. I was trying to do the whole, you know what that means? Oh, yeah, we talk about the name. And it's like, oh, but I guess... Yeah, I was asking what his name meant. Okay, there we go. Well, you know what Slav means, right? Glory. Exactly. We've had sl- so many Slavs by now. Yaroslav, Vysyoslav. Yakislav. Slavoslav. <laughs> Slavoslav. Slavoslav, Slavoslav, Slavoslav. Yeah. Uh, well, Misty comes from the word Mista, which means vengeance. So does it mean the glory of vengeance or glorious vengeance? Vengeful glory. Vengeful glory. Okay. So, do you think this is something that'll pop up in the episode? Do you think the name correlates to the things they'll do? Is naming destiny? 
Yes. Is, why why would you not name Brandon instead of Brendan? Come on. <laughs> um, because Brendan is better. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you don't have to deal with all the BS stuff you see in people's driveways where I live. Oh, true. I mean, it has not stopped people from telling me the let's go Brandon joke so many times. It wasn't funny the first time, and I promise you it wasn't funny the next time. So, let's talk a bit about Mstislav. Well, Mstislav was born in February 1076 in Turov to... Can you guess who his father was? Was it Vladimir Monomok? It was Vladimir Monomok. And his wife, the English princess, Githa of Wessex. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. He bagged an English lunch. <laughs> and she, I mean, yeah, and now, Githa, if you recall, was the daughter of Harold Godwinson, famously known as the six-month king of England before William the Bastard came in. We don't know much about his childhood, so we can assume he was taught the essentials of being a, a Rus prince, such as how do you fight? How do you read? How do you ride a horse? How do you go hunting? Without accidents, of course. No, accidents are a part of the tradition of hunting. That's why they happen all the time. Yeah, but, you know, he liked his hunting. Um, but, yeah, so he learned how to do that really well. And, you know, a few years after that, around 1088, Mstislav was given the throne of Novgorod by his grandfather, Sievolod, you know, the Grand Prince that we or and his grandfather. Mm -hmm, the Grand Prince of Novgorod. The Grand Prince of Kiev. Oh, Grand Prince. Okay. Oh, right, right. Okay, so he gifted Novgorod to Mstislav. Yes, so he was like, what, 12? And he's like, you're in charge of Novgorod. And he stayed in power there until 1093. Around 1093, our friendly neighborhood Cumans returned to attack Rus. It's always the Cumans. And Mstislav goes down to help his father and Sviatopolk II fight off the Cumans. But as we covered multiple times in the last two ep three episodes, they were defeated by the Cumans, and they had to come back. And after this defeat, Monomach and Sviatopolk II started fighting over who controls Novgorod, and this fight led Mstislav being moved to Rostov and being replaced by David Sviatoslavich, who is the brother of Alyeg of Chernigov, who we have covered already, so I'm not going to go into detail about who he is. And he's basically... So David Sviatoslavich is now the new Prince of Novgorod. However... He didn't last that long because within two years, the Novgorodians came down to Kiev and demanded that Mstislav came back. And David Svetoslavich was instructed to never return back to Novgorod. We, d we don't know why, but they really didn't like David. <laughs> yeah, so they're just like, get the hell out of here. We don't want to see your face ever again. I mean, that's good news for Mstislav. It means they really liked him. They wanted him back. Yeah, it means he was popular. Yeah, um, and keep, in keep that in mind. And after he took back the throne of Novgorod, Mstislav noticed that, hey, I need to get married. Who shall I ever marry? Another English princess? No, because that'd be incest. No, it wouldn't. Actually, no, because they Just get a different one. No, because then they'd be French now. Actually. Because William It doesn't make it incest. And first off, since when has that been a problem for European nobility? Well, it hasn't been a problem for the, for the Rus yet. So, <laughs> anyways. Um, so he reached out to Sweden. And asked for the hand of King Inga's daughter, uh, her name being Princess Christina Inga's daughter. Um, and the king of Sweden said, yeah, sure, you can marry her. And they were soon married. That was easy. Yeah, nothing, literally, we don't know 
I was going to guess it was going to be a Swedish princess next, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a Swedish Because Nofriel's right there. True. And, like, Mrs. doesn't really pop up in the Chronicles that often. Uh, but when he does, it's because we hear a leg of Chernigov. You know, as we recalled in his episode, he was very annoyed at losing the territory that he thought was his. And he invaded Monomach's personal lands. And during this invasion, Alieg actually kills uh, Mrsislav's brother, Izyaslav, during a battle, which leads Mrsislav to send a messenger to Alieg, um, asking him to depart from Suzdal and retreat back to his territory of Murom. What do you think Alieg says? Uh, no. Yeah, <laughs> he says no, as always. And then during this message, he states to Alieg that you know, I'm not upset that you killed my brother because both kings and commoners meet their end in battles. And Mr. Stuff didn't really want to fight anyone. He just wanted to alleviate the situation, promote peace, because he didn't want the, you know, the Rus princes fighting against each other all the time. But Alieg, as you mentioned, he said no, and he didn't want to do it because Novgorod used to be his brother's territory, W. Svetoslavich, and his other brother, who were not, whose name I forget because he's been long dead right now. So he wanted what he thought were Svetoslavici claims. And he believed that because they took this away from his father's dynasty, he needed to get that land back. So he ordered his men to take position on the river, and he placed himself on the plains near Rostov. So Mrslav only had one option. He had to get his men, and he had this one retainer of his named Dobrynya. Mrslav gave Dobrynya a very super secret mission to accomplish. Can you guess this mission? Steal the Declaration of Independence. You're not that far off, actually. It's still governmental stuff. Um, his plan is to seize Aliyek's tax collectors in the area. Ooh, that's clever. Yeah. So if you take away his money, he can't pay his men. Yeah. Makes it hard. He can't hire humans. <laughs> so um, how did you? How do you think Dobrynya went around and, and captured all these men? Um, well, I assume they just went to wherever they're supposed to be and waited. Oh, I thought you were gonna make something super nice and extravagant. No. No, I'm, I would say they probably waited for them to come by and then captured them. Just, just gave them a big bear hug? I mean, you know, tax collectors play an important role. You could just say, you could certainly just walk up to them and say, listen, you can have a job once all this is done, but you just need to stay put for the time being. Why are you so sensible? <laughs> I, I already put all my jokes for the day in stealing the Declaration of Independence. I'm just saying this is how I would do it. All right, all right, all right. I'll leave you to it. I was, I, I wrote this thinking you were doing this grand, extravagant plan to capture people, but oh yeah, no, no, no. They, they got, they went and they got Ethan Hunt to uh, do it for him. Okay, perfect. There we go. I like that. <laughs> Who's Ethan Hunt again? <laughs> <laughs> he's the Mission Impossible guy. Tom Cruise. He's, he's Tom Cruise. That's what oh, you need to know. Oh, gross. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, he has a super secret mission to eliminate Scientology's enemies. <laughs> there we go. Which is Aliyah's tax collectors. Um, exactly. Well... Also, the American tax collectors are also Scientology's enemies. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, they had they this whole thing with the IRS. Oh my god. So it, it works. Oh, yeah. man. Well... Aliyev's younger brother, Yaroslav, made him aware of the loss of these revenue streams and heard reports that Dobrynya had sent Ethan Hunt to capture these tax collectors on mm -hmm. Mrsislav's behalf. And Nick Cage. And Nick Cage. So we have someone seen the Declaration of Independence or the tax documents. 
and someone's just kidnapping the tax collectors. It's a whole hullabaloo. Oh, and more importantly, Yaroslav um, Svetoslavich let Alyeg know that Mrs. army was on the way to fight them. So Alyeg decided to move to act to the pla- to Rostov to the actual city um, and move the camp away from the plains because he didn't want to be in this big open area where people can see him easily. And Mrsislav arrived along the banks of the Volga River and saw the empty fortifications. So he took his army to Rostov. Um, can you guess where Alyeg was? Was he still in Kiev? Nope, Alyeg was not in Kiev. Oh, sorry, ch- still in Chernigov. No, um, Alyeg moved to Rostov. Okay. Mrsislav pursued him, and Alyeg was not in Rostov. Ah. Because okay. Alyeg took a super secret back exit and went to Suzdal. See, I've never heard of Suzdal, so it's kind of unfair that you ask me. No, no, but uh, basically it was just like, do, where, do you think he left? Do you think he, like, what course of action do you think he That's went not to? what you said. You asked me, where do I think he went? I apologize. My bad. So, Mrs. Slav grew annoyed that Alyeg was kept retreating. And when Mrs. Slav went to Suzdal, what do you think Alyeg did? Well, how did he find? Did he fi- ever figure out that he went to Suzdal? He did. He was told that Alieg had gone to Suzdal. Probably go to Suzdal. So Mrsislav went to Suzdal. Alieg was nowhere to be found. But he did leave a bit of surprise in the city, though. But did he? Did he? Did he burn dog poop on his porch? That's a classic I, prank. Actually, you're not that far off. <laughs> he just burnt the whole city down. <laughs> you know, I was gonna say. It seems like Vladimir Monomach, you know, with uh, his kid would be nice, but uh, I, I guess this is Russian history. Yeah. Well, Alyeg only left two buildings still standing in Suzdal. The church? Yes. And the monastery. <laughs> well, he's a good Christian, at least. Yeah. He, yeah, he is. And um, around this time, Igor, our messenger, arrives. He says, Prince Mrsislav, Prince Mrsislav. Alieg went to another castle. He's in Muram. Yeah. Wow, thank you, Mrs. Slav, but the princess is in another castle. <laughs> yes. So Mrs. Slav orders Igor to take a message to Alieg. And this message is basically him pleading for peace, especially now that he's no longer in the territory, Monomach's territory. And that's all he really wanted. He didn't want to fight his, you know, his elder cousin. He just wanted to, you know, hey, get get out of here, and everything's Gucci. Oh, I feel so weird saying that. <laughs> and the message was very respectful. He even said, hey, you know, also, can you send back the hostages that you took from my father, and I would respect you as an elder and follow your orders. So basically, just do these few things, and I will just do whatever you want and put you in a good light. I don't want anything else to really be done. And Adyag, as he reads this letter, has a slight smile on his face. And he gives his own reply, saying, yes, yes, I will do this. We're going to promote peace. Everything is going to be great. And then, as you see him writing, the camera pans down to his back, and his fingers are crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mrs. Slav gets this letter, and he's like, oh, great, fantastic. Looks at his man and goes, guys, you can go home. Get ready for Easter. Um, and his men and army disbands, because he did his job. Alleg is out. And then a few weeks pass by. Pascha or Easter starting. The celebrations are going up. Mrs. Slav goes to a dinner party. And he parties and parties. And he probably jumped on the table to do the Kazachov while taking shots of vodka. You know, he's having fun. 
And then we see Igor, our messenger. And then on the side of the camera, his, his head just kind of peeks out, and you're like, oh no. And he kind of, you know, kind of doing like the classical cartoon, like moving between people, like hiding. And then he gets up to Igor, uh, to Mrs. Slav, who's just dancing, pokes him. Mrs. Slav's still dancing. Uh, and Igor whispers into his ear, music scratch. And Mrs. Slav jumps off the table and yells, what do you mean Alie crossed the Klyasma River and is in the territory again? So, Alie's back with an army. And of course, Mrs.Slav was fully unprepared for this because he didn't expect Alie to lie about the promise he made. Um, and he, of course, because he thought Alie was being truthful, he didn't put any guards to watch the river crossings. So, Alie goes to Klyasma, smiled, and knew that with, with time, Mrs.Slav would, you know, sue for peace because he had no army to defend him and the whole territory would be his for the taking. So how do you think this is going to go for Mrs. Slav? I think Mrs. Slav loses. Well, Mrs. Slav had lots and lots of riz because he was able to quickly gather his army from Novgorod, Rostov, and Bela and march them against the Lieg. Yeah, so he had, he had W riz with his noblemen because they obeyed him. Yeah, they obeyed him and they brought armies immediately. And they were along the banks of the Klyasma River, and they just kind of stared at each other. You know, it took four long days before anything happened, and anxiety rose on the battlefield to see who would commence the battle. Then, in the background, thunder. You hear uh, thunder, the stamp, you know, you hear hollering, yelling, and then you hear it's just all horses, and then it's our friendly neighborhood. Humans. The Cubans are back. And. Mrs. Slav and Alieg looked to see, you know, which direction they'd come from, and one of them smiled. Can you guess who who hired the Cumans? It was Mrs. Slav. It was? Great. Good work. <laughs> um, well, he followed Alieg's strategy of hiring Cumans and used them to bolster his army. And with their arrival, the battle officially begun. Uh, Mrs. Slav uh, met with a Cuban soldier, and he gave him his father's banner. So he was like, hey, hold Vladimir Monokamok's banner and command this group of foot soldiers on the right wing. And just, you know, when I yell, you know, when I yell for you, start moving forward. So the battle raged on. Mrs. gave the order for the Cuban to raise Monomach's standard. And the Lieg, who's commanding from a distance, saw the standard come up. And he thought that Monomach was coming to reinforce his son's army. And he ordered one of his men to bring his brown pants. And with that, morale for Lieg's army dropped. And Mrs. Lav was able to gain the upper hand because Alieg's army thought, oh crap, uh, Motomak is on his way. And, you know, the, the banner kept coming closer and closer to the main army as they were de defeating everyone on that side. And with complete and abject terror, Alieg was forced to flee from the battlefield, leading Mrs. Lav to win the battle. Huh. How about that? Yep. He used his father's name to his advantage, or his father's standard at least. And with that, Mrs. Slav was able to capture Muram, and he chased Alieg to Suzdal. Can you guess what Alieg did from Suzdal? I uh, probably hid inside and didn't come out. Ah, uh, he just fled, actually. Oh, okay. It's like, like, oh, Mrs. Slav's coming. He left. So Mrs. Slav liberated the city from his father, from Alieg's influence. Yeah, he liberated it from the, liberated it from the state of not being burned down. I imagine. Yeah, they were starting to build back up, and he's like, "I'm not going to burn you guys down any further. It's okay." Well, then he. Send a message to Alieg, who basically said, hey, do not flee anymore. 
because and I just want you to go to Seathapokta II and my father, Monomak, on your knees and beg to not be exiled from Rus. And if you did so, I would support you remaining here. And Aliag, knowing that he had no way else to win because he no longer had an army, and the Cubans were on Mississlav's side, decided to, yes, I will make a truce with your dad and your... With that, Mississlav returned to Novgorod to kind of await things. Then, one day, Mississlav decides to go on a hunting trip. Brendan, what do you think he is hunting for? Arrows. He's not hunting for arrows. He's hunting for a bear. And he finds one and decides, I want to fight this bear one-on-one with no assistance at all. So he comes face-to-face with the bear, spear in hand, and commences an intense battle with him. The bear proved to be more powerful than he ever could, and the claws of the bear went straight through Mrs. Slav's stomach and caused his insides to fall out. Jesus. Are you ready to rank him? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) No. What? Go on. Go on. Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> Instead, he was taken back to the castle and holding his insides with his hands, and his mother, Githa of Wessex, prayed to St. Pantalaemon. The next morning, Mr. Slav, in his haze, saw a young man looking similar to the man in the icon that his mother prayed to, and the man gave him a few drugs and touched his, his guts and cured him of all his injuries. Right. Okay. Uh, Slav had a new son at this point named Iziaslav that he baptized as Pantalaemon and he founded a monastery near Novgorod in honor of this saint yeah (laughs) Brendan's shaking his head because we can't see him do that you were so excited for a hunting accident I was I I, I was ready for just like oh just died by a okay (laughs) he's not even the grand prince yet Brendan (laughs) well this story comes to us from a, from a German Benedictine theologian named Rupert. Uh, I found I found that when I was researching Mrs. Slavin. I'm like, Brendan's going to love this. <laughs> Not impressed. You, you're more disappointed than anything, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, it didn't take long for Mrs. Slav to be called to Kiev by his father, Monomak. And he arrived at the group of Novgorod nobles. And... With that, there was a big discussion between Sviatopok II and Monomak once more about Novgorod. Sviatopok wanted his son, Yaroslav, to take over Novgorod. And then with that, Miss, um, Mrslav would get Vladimir Volhinsk to control. Um, Mrslav was like, yeah, you know, I'll do whatever you guys tell me to do. I'm not going to complain. However, the Novgorodians were rather pissed. And they ignored him and declared to Sviatopok II Would you like to read this awesome quote? We were sent to you, O Prince, with positive instructions that our city does not want either you or your son. If your son has two heads, you might send him. But the fact is that Sievolod assigned us Mstislav as our prince. We brought him up as one of us while you left us in the lurch. And with that, you can see this nice pristine wall called Kievan Novgorodian Unity just begin to crack. But it still stands, of course. But just, just keep in mind that we have this wall of Kiev and Novgorodian unity, all right? Mm-hmm. Sviatopolk and the Novgorodians argued for quite a bit, but no one's mind was changed. So Mstislav was like, well, F it. I'm going back to Novgorod. And part of me likes to believe that Mstislav was giving Sviatopolk the bird as he was walking while Sviatopolk wasn't looking. He was like, I've been ruling over this for a long time. Why take it away from me? 
And then here we don't see anything happen for quite a bit around Mrs. Slav's life. It gets quiet. We know he joins his family to, in a successful fight against the Cumans, and then he builds another church and he fights the Cumans again. And then, Brendan, sad violin music, because this is the last time we will use the Russian primary chronicles for a ruler. Oh no. It was so reliable and historically accurate. Exactly! Oh man. But, um, but anyways, we're going to use the Kievan and Nikonian Chronicles now. It's okay. We have other stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, the, the, you know, the OG one is, is gone. But we, basically, basically, we were caught up by Seth Book II, but now we, we don't have to use it anymore because the next ruler isn't even mentioned in the, in the Russian Primary Chronicle. Ha-ha! And then when, you know, back in Novgorod, Mrs. married his daughter to Yaroslav Yatopolchich. The son of Sjatopok II, but bittersweet news arrived from the capital. Sjatopok II had died, and his father was now the Grand Prince. Which is, honestly, fantastic. On to better things and moving up in the world. Because Monomach had some ideas. Uh, however, with Monomach now in charge, not much changed immediately. Mstislav was still running Novgorod quite well, and the people of Novgorod loved him. Like, you, you can tell they wanted him back no matter what. Um, and he even did a lot of, he did a bit of expansion because he went off to fight the Chuds to the West and he took their town of Medvegia Golova, which means bear's head. I, th I think that's a pretty cool name. It is. And then, uh, oh, with that, another crack on the Kievan of Grodin unity wall appears. Just, just let you know. Because, uh, Novgorod was becoming more powerful under Mstislav. And he laid the foundation to, to a stone fortress near Novgorod to help defend it better. And then founded another church, the Church of St. Nicholas. So he really was building up Novgorod quite a bit. Well, it also didn't take Monomach a long time to see how effective his son was at ruling, you know, Novgorod. And he called him down to Kiev. And he, Mr. Slav came in and said, you know, hey, yes, Papa, what is it you need? And Monomach's like, well, effective immediately. You're moving down from Novgorod to Byogorod to Kievsky, which is an outpost right outside of Kiev. And Mrs. Slav was like, oh, you know, that's fine. As long as Sievolod, my son, can be the prince of Novgorod. So, Monomach really wants his son close to him. Whatever could that be for? Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Well, to a lot of people, this seems like a big downgrade because Byogorod Kievsky isn't like a big, powerful town or anything. There's not a lot of land. It's still technically part of Kiev. So he wouldn't have that much power. But what this does let us know is, and to the rest of the princes, is that because Monomach put Mstislav close to Kiev, Mstislav is now appointed as the heir to Monomach. And he's learning how to run the whole area from his father, which is actually a very good thing. And then this came to a peak because Monomach and Mstislav came together and they ordered all the boyars of Novgorod to come down to Kiev and have them swear an oath of loyalty. Those that took the oath rather easily were sent home. Um, however, some denied it, and along the road, some others also assaulted some other boyars and took their goods. So these criminals and these that didn't take the oath uh, were investigated, and then they had criminal charges brought onto them. So they were drowned. Hmm. Yeah. However, things wouldn't remain too happy, though, because Christina of Sweden, Mrs. wife, passed away oh no yeah so and after a 40-day mourning period mrs Slav found himself quickly married to lubava dimitrievna zavidic 
It did not take him long to move on. And she is the daughter of a Novgorodian boyar, which basically is just Mississlav making connections with Novgorod to kind of keep them in check as well. And they also really liked him for it. And it also helped that his son is still in charge of the area, so he kind of wants them to, you know, remain calm and all that. And then, um, Monomak passed away. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he actually did? He actually did. <laughs> Monomak is dead. But now, Mrsislav is, you know, Monomak basically designated Mrsislav as the heir. So yeah. there, there is no opposition to Mrsislav gaining power. No, I suppose there isn't. No, 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 nobody opposed him. And this is the first time in 70 years that the throne passed from father to son. Huh. And the last time being from Yaroslav to Izyaslav, which is like seven episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, indirectly from Rurik to Igor the first, but that's neither here nor there. No, that doesn't count because you had a leg in the middle. So, but it was indirect, is what I'm saying. It was indirect, but. But yeah, it's still indirect. And, you know, there may have been some opposition from Yaroslav Svetoslavich, um, because he was the oldest member of the of the family, mm-hmm. but of, like, the whole Rurikid family. And his father had been Svetoslav II, who we covered back a while back. But he also had no political power to really back up his claim either. All he held was Chernigov, and the Monomaki had, like, everything else. And the Kievans summoned Mrsislav to, to be the, to be their prince. So yes, I had a Kiev support, and they installed him on the throne because they, you know, they still had some say over who can over who ruled them. It's just that typically they followed whoever was next in line. And he was also now the new family patriarch of the Monomachy, and his family ruled over most of the territory. And any other dynasty was still too weak to stand up to them. So Izyaslavichi held some towns, but they died a political death after Svetopolk II. And the Shetoslavici only had Chernigov. So basically, the Monomaki were in charge, and Mrsislav was now the head honcho. And of course, it helps that Mrsislav is a very good military commander, and he took over a lot of... He was part in many campaigns in Rus against the Cumans, against the Chudes, and all that. And Yaroslav Shetoslavich really hadn't done anything of note either. And Mrsislav was very high regarded for his victory over a league of Chernigov, even if that was like 30 years ago. So people still remember that battle, and they liked his cunning in that. Um, and he was also able to rule in Novgorod for 20 years, which is a lot longer than most Novgorodian princes could even survive in the town. So he was very well prepared for everything. The Novgorodians let his son be in charge after he went down to Belgorod Kievsky. So basically, all, all in all, he's a very well-prepared man. And then with that, he was on the throne, and to not cause any issues, he made sure his brothers were able to keep the territories that their father had given them. So that way, they were still supporting each other. The roost would still be stable, and they weren't going to squabble over any land because they still had the stuff that they wanted. So essentially, good times. But there's one small issue. Can you guess what that is? Humans? Actually, they did come. <laughs> yes. Um, the Cubans did come, and they attacked after finding out that Monomak died. But they were easily repelled by Yaropolk Vladimirovich, which is Mrsislav's brother, mm-hmm. and the prince of Periaslavl. So they were dispatched, so we don't have to worry about them for a little bit. But the, main, the, the biggest issue is that Mrsislav didn't have any big territory of his own, 
all he had was Kiev, so he didn't have any surrounding areas to help bolster his forces. So he had to rely on his family to help him. Do you think that'll cause any issues? Um, you know, I've always found that royal families are very functional families. Absolutely. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. They are. Now, we're going to have a bit of a confusing time in the Chronicles, and I tried taking out as many names as possible to make it make sense. But because we have the next generation of children to mess everything up and take land for themselves, we got to look at them and what Mrs. did to stop them. Uh, first, we're going to take, take a look at the Galician princes, the heirs of Olar and Vasilko, um, the latter who's blinded by Shetapok II. Rostov and Vladimirko, um, who were the sons of Olodar, were in charge of Paramishal and Zvenigorod. Well, Vladimirko, as the younger son, wasn't very happy with just having Zvenigorod. He wanted more. He wanted to be big and powerful. So he decided that it was time to take over his brother's territory of Paramishal and called upon the Hungarians to assist in his conquest of the area. It was just bordering Hungary right there. Rostislav, of course, asked his cousins and Mrsislav for aid. Mrsislav helped the elder brother. They proved unable to deal with the brothers effectively, and the Galician princes went to war. Vladimirko was forced to flee to Hungary and because he feared Mrsislav's reach, uh, but decided that he could reconcile with his brother Rostislav, and together the Galician princes acknowledged that Mrsislav's reign was supreme. Basically, they made a big whole mess for no reason. I see. Yeah. I mean, like, Mrs. Slav's forces tried to fight them off, but, like, it was always, like, stalemates, or they just, like, one person would win, and then the other person would win the next battle. It was a whole mess. But the territory is under control now. Um, then we see the Chernigov princes begin to fight amongst themselves, because David Olgovich, uh, the son of Alieg of Chernigov, marched into Chernigov and kicked his uncle, Yaroslav Svetoslavich, from the city, um, and then began to massacre his uncle's men, and he sacked the city for its goods and riches. So Mstislav and his brother Yaropolk decide to fight against David's brother, Sievolod, on behalf of Yaroslav Svetoslavich. So Yaroslav and his nephews are fighting, they're supporting Yaroslav, but they're attacking Sievolod to kind of make it even. Sievolod uses this opportunity to reinforce his army of 17,000 Cubans. So he's just adopting his father's strategy. And in anticipation for the coming battle, Mrsislav and Yaropok camped in a forest of Radomir, not too far from the Vur River. And this worked to Mrsislav's advantage because he was able to intercept the Cuban messengers, leading them to move away from the Olgovici due to lack of communication. So he basically cut their communication and the Cubans were like, well, they're not telling us anything. How are we going to get paid? And that made the army get smaller. Mrsislav then pressured Sivolod Olgovich's forces they fought in small skirmishes, and, you know, they were able to win, but, like, nothing to, like, make it an overwhelming defeat that would just stop the war. And Mrsislav even messaged Shevolodogovich and said, hey, quote, you brought the Cumans, but did not succeed in the least, end quote. This caused uh, Shevolod's army's morale to just drop, and but Shevolod managed to bribe the boyars to stay with him throughout the summer and winter months. So... He had more than enough money from sacking Chernigov to, like, pay people off and make them stay with him. And then with pressure on Sivolod Olgovich at an all-time high, Yaroslav Svetoslavich approached Mrsislav's encampment in Muram, greeted the Grand Prince, and said, Hey, you know, it's time for us to beat Sivolod Olgovich, and you promised me that we would, so support me in a battle against him. Then you, we can pan the camera to see Sivolod 
at his camp, praying for Mstislav to break the promise he made to Yaroslav. Then enter Abbot Gregory. Abbot Gregory is the man in charge of the monastery of St. Andrew, and he happened to have been a very close friend of Monomach, Mstislav, and many of the princes. And they highly respected this man, so they listened to him, and they followed what he did. And of course, being a Christian man, he wanted to prevent an all-out fight between the Rus princes, and knowing about Mstislav's promise to Yaroslav, told the Grand Prince, It will be a great sin if you break your pledge on the cross, but it is better to break it than to spill the blood of Christians. Yeah, so the abbots, like, don't kill each other. You can also see the abbot kind of, like, patting his pocket, and you see a little coin purse that says, from Sivlod Olgovich. Because hmm. Sivlod Olgovich bribed many of Mstislav's friends and advisors to tell him, hey, don't fight me. I don't, I, I don't want to fight. So with that, the abbot gathered the council of the clergy and took advantage of the fact that the metropolitan, the guy who's in charge of like the church in Rus, was doing something else at the time. And together they went to Mstislav and said, in quotations, your sin will be upon us. And Mstislav was very pressured to not fight Sievolod, and he told Yaroslav Svetoslavich that he wasn't going to fight. Yaroslav was not pleased, and he decided to go back to Muram. Mstislav was full of regret, but Sievolod would now be indebted to Mstislav for not outright killing him. And this, you know, finishes up the War of the Successors in Chernigov. But Brendan, like every good story, it has to come in threes. I don't think that's what they say, but okay. Well, like every good folk story, you have to do things three times. Okay, yeah. I guess I, I agree with that. Yeah, because the Polotskian princes revolted. These are the sons of Sieslav the Sorcerer. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. They're not sorcerers, though, so they're not as fun. Um, but Mstislav decided that he wasn't going to deal with this personally, so he sent his two brothers, Vyacheslav and Andrei, to deal with them. And they went down to Polotsk and Vityabsk, and they were fighting with the Krivich tribe. And these were the descendants of Rogvolod, who you may recall as being the father of Vladimir the Great's concubine, Rogneda. This is where Vladimir the Great becomes a very big and horrible person in this little tale. So we're not going to talk about that. Go back to Vladimir the Great, you want to find out. But due to Vladimir's actions in this area, there is a big blood feud between the Krivichi and the Rus. So they hated each other. Well, the Krivici hated the Rus. The Rus just didn't care. Luckily for us, this campaign proved to be very successful, and we'll cover it when the respective participant takes the throne, since it revolves around them mostly. Um, but long story short, the Polotskians chased David, the son of Siestad the Sorcerer, away, and they Mstislav appointed Rogvolod Siestlavich as a new prince of Polotsk. So with that, you know, they are like, all right, your brother's out. You're you're now the new prince. Easy peasy. And with all of these issues out of the way, the Cubans decided that this would be a great time to attack. But Mstislav was gathered his men, and he was able to drive them past the Volga River, which is much farther than anyone had been able to do so before him. So they went further east than ever before. However, there was one small problem. Humans? No, the Cubans are gone now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just assume if there's a complication, it's because the Cubans attack, just for no reason. I mean, that's a good. That's a good. That's a good thing to think. <laughs> well, he called on Polotsk, and they refused to answer his call for aid. So he summoned the Sviatoslavici and accused them of violating the oath of allegiance that they had made to him. 
and that they had committed treason when they refused to aid him against the Cumans. So he did the most. He did one thing and one thing only. He exiled them and their family to Constantinople. They were never to return to Rus. And with the Polotskan princes gone, he gave the town to his son, Izyaslav, and placed his men in charge of smaller lands. He basically took a whole princedom away from somebody who's only related directly to Vladimir, not no one else, and gave it to the Monomaki. So he was able to consolidate more power for his family and increase his authority. And honestly, he even had more authority than his father actually had. So people respected him very very well. But the Novgorodians called for aid because they needed help fighting a war. And Mr. Slav said, yeah, I'll help you. So he sent some, some more of his sons to bolster Novgorod's forces. And once again, they fought the Chudes and they made them pay tribute to them. And they took even more land. This kept the Novgorodians happy. And they were still subservient to Mislav because they still saw him as like their actual leader. While Sievolod uh, Mislavich was just like a governor. So, and now... Mrsislav decided to do the one thing we haven't had in a long time. Mrsislav actually fought a neighboring nation, and he went to war with the Lithuanians. Why? Well, because the Lithuanians were consistently coming into the Polotskian lands and like pillaging everything and burning, stealing things and kidnapping people. So he decided to return the favor. So he took his men into Lithuania, pillaged their stuff, set fire to their homes, and took a lot of good stuff. So this is the first campaign a, Kiev, a prince of Kiev had ever made against the Lithuanians. But of course, it won't be the last. It won't be the last time prince of Kiev goes into Lithuania. But it'll be Mstislav's last campaign because he died of old age at 55 years old on April 15th, 1132. Wow. So another prince that dies of old age. Things are starting to look up for the princes of Kiev. I, I have like the list of how everyone died so far. Mm-hmm. We've only had five people actually die violently. Hmm. Okay. And the rest just died after getting old or being sick. That's fair enough. Yeah. Well, being sick, I mean, being sick can counts as natural causes, but it's not necessarily old age. Yeah, but he died, he died of old age at 55. So, are you ready to rank him? Let's go. Okay. Special Operations. How well did they do in battle or have others lead in battle for them? So what what do you think, Brendan? Well, he did have that one thing where he was going up against that guy he was chasing, Oleg, Oleg of Chernogov, Oleg. And he just, you know, summoned Exodia, the Forbidden One, out of nowhere, a.k.a. the Cumans. And, and his father. <laughs> and his father. And just trounced him. So he has the ability to call for help. At least he can do a Final Fantasy summon. Yeah, and like he never lost a major battle that he led. So like, he, and like people feared him as much as they feared his father. But we don't have anything with details that said, "Oh, you know, the Cubans quake in their sleep when they hear my name." Or basically, he was just a son who was following his dad's. Basically, the, he was able to win, but he was always also able to use his dad's name to his advantage. Right. But he was also, you know, when he was Grand Prince of Kiev, he didn't lose it either, did he? No, but he and he and he did send a lot of people to like fight for him. But he 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 lost a few skirmishes, but not ones that he led directly. It was other people leading for him. Uh huh. So and he also had the first Rus campaign against Lithuania and expanded the borders of Novgorod. Okay, so he gained territory. He gained territory. 
he did he had a foreign war which is surprising we haven't had that any that many other unless it's humans but they're a nomadic tribe they don't have an actual territory yeah um so what do you want to give him nothing really stands out to me as saying he was a great leader mm-hmm. but i don't think he was bad either he expanded his territory, so I'll give him a middle-of-the-road five. That's what I was thinking. Like, five was, you know, like, he didn't do anything major. We don't have details. We only have the one fight against Alieg, but that was, like, a civil war against Alieg. And as much as I like Alieg, Alieg is not a powerful enemy. So mm-hmm. it's fine. So that's a 10 for Special Neopardazia. Success. How successful were they in leading their nation? What cultural significance did they leave behind? Well, his, did, he, he built churches, didn't he? He built a lot of churches. Right. So there's uh, that. There's that. He's also known as the Great, but that's because the historian Tatishev decided to add that for flair, but no source that we have mentions him as the Great. He was able to put down many internal struggles or negotiate them to end at, at like, status quo. He expanded mm-hmm. his family's territory. So if you see the map here, this is when he takes over. Basically, Dark Pink and Pink is his family. So that um, That's him. That's Rus in 1125. And then if we go to Rus in 1132, they have a lot more territory. Right. So, like... He was able to expand his family's holdings, which is successful, but it doesn't, like, help Roos. It just, it's just going to cause, I'm going to be honest, it's going to cause way more issues down the road. Hmm. But at the time, everything was fine and dandy when he died. And he also did have a succession plan put in place where his brother Yaropolk will take over as Yaropolk II, and everyone agreed to it. And then after that, his son... Um, should be the one who who, get, who inherits after Yarapolk. But okay. we'll see if that works out in Yarapolk's episode. Right. So what do you want to give him for Uspiech? Again, nothing really stands out to me in terms of cultural significance. He didn't you know, make a big compilation book. He built a lot of churches. But like a lot of those got burnt down or... Yeah. Uh, nothing stands out to yeah. me. He, did, he didn't... Nothing fell apart. It wasn't a failure. He kept it. He kept. He kept it going. And like his reign is seen as spoilers. His reign ends the Rus Golden Age. Oh, so after he dies, everything goes to hell. Hmm. So spoilers, but you need to know that that his reign and marks the end. I guess I'll give him a five again. I'm gonna give him a three. I was like, okay, as you as you mentioned, like he didn't really. He he kept it. He kept it running. But for me, for like good success, is he has to do more than just keep it running. You know, mm. he needs to do things okay. that improve Roos, improve like laws and all that. And he, for me, keeping it running I mean, is minimum three points. That's- doing the bare minimum for me is five because it's just middle of the road. To, beyond that, you did something positive. Beyond below that, you lost territory or things got worse in some way. Mm-hmm. Um. Alrighty, so that is an 8 for Uspiech. Compromat. Blackmail. Basically, what did they do that made other people mad at them? I mean... Uh, I can't really 
I can't really think of anything. He was very well liked. <laughs> he was he was really popular. Yeah, he, I'll like, give him a two, maybe even a one. For what he, he was pop- he had no compromise. I'm giving him a zero. He had not. He didn't do anything. Like I mean, he went to war with people, but like they were invading his territory. So like because they didn't like him. No, because because the Lithuanians just wanted good. So he went to war with them in response. Well, if they liked him enough, they would have. They wouldn't well, have done that. <laughs> well, they're, they're not from his country. So so the right, okay. Swedes aren't from his country, and he gave them. They gave them him their princess. So you're gonna give him a one. Yeah. All right, that's a one for Compromat. Oh my god. Uh, how good looking were they? This is. I heard one. a Facebook notification, so I'll take a look. Yes. This is. Uh, the, this is from impressed. the the Ruski Titularnik. Um, yeah, I'm not impressed. There's no. There's not really many depictions of him, unless it's like the little cart um, minute illuminated, not even illuminated, just like the chronicle drawings that you really don't like. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give him a two, honestly. Like, I think it's kind of like, it looks kind of good, but like, it's not that impressive looking. Yeah, it's not. So I'll give him a one. Okay, so that's a... He's not ugly, I'm just like, the... It's, it's not, it's no. not like, yeah. It's not, for me, it's just not a good port- portrait of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's a three for Bojemoy. Sovereignty, how long did they last on the throne? How long do you think he lasted? On the prince, on the, as the Grand Prince of Kiev, I'd say he lasted 20 years? Nope. Am I warmer or colder? You're c- very cold. Uh, 50 years. Very, very, very freezing in hell ten, cold. Ten years. Warmer. Five. Getting super hot, but almost there. Three. Colder. Four. Colder. What? Warmer. Warmer, I mean, yeah. Uh, four and a half. Warmer. Four and three quarters. Okay, I'll just tell you what, how long you rode for. So, if Mrs. ruled from... May 20th, 1125 until April 15th, 1132 for a period of 6.83 years. You told me I was getting warmer when I said four down from five. Yeah, but I said five was like super hot. Okay. Yeah. Um, Or 2.72 points, which gives us a grand total of, where is Mrs. Slav here? 24.72 points. Oof. That's like a huh. big drop from Vladimir Monomach. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah, because Vladimir Monomach had like, let me see here. His dad had 60.28 points, and that's because he was very well liked and didn't have that much compromat. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, do you think that Mrslav is great enough? Do you think he's fine enough? Do you think that he deserves to go party out in the Kremlin, or does he get shipped off to the Gulag? He's just really boring. Yeah, I think he specifically he belongs in the hell from No Exit by Sothra. The just the most boring thing in place imaginable. Yeah, like that's he, where he belongs. Yeah, I I found him very like boring and like I don't because when I was reading, I'm like, oh, he's the great. This looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, what? How do? What are we gonna do with him? And then it's just like, oh no. He's he's just boring. So 
Off to Gulag then? Yep, Gulag. Yep, so Mrslav the Great, question mark. You're off to the Gulag. Let's see, let's see how he fares up in our latest ranks. Oof. Oof. He is number 14. <laughs> 14 of 16. 14 of 16. We also we, did, we did 14. I mean, we we counted Oleg of Chernigov as like oh, but he's 14 not, and a half, right? Yes, but he's not being counted in the ruler pool. Okay. Yeah. So he does not pass the Igor test. He is worse than Igor. <laughs> 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 Igor's in number twelve, so yeah, this isn't this isn't good for Mrs. Slav. I mean, for a guy who's known, who's a well known, you know, well known ruler, well not well known, but a well liked ruler, this wasn't that hot. Yeah. Oh well. Well, if you want to make it in this game, you have to be despised, <laughs> <laughs> or at least very cool and doing good work. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, Brendan, do you have any recommendations? I forget. Did I already recommend Soul Glow? I don't think so. I think I might have. Well, I'll tell you what. I will recommend my friend's solo act, Mono Theory. I met Alyssa at a random show in Harrisburg, and I was blown away by how beautiful her voice was and also how good her music was. I was not expecting um thing she was doing she made a very ambient type set after two very traditional rock bands went before her not not very traditional very um very typical i guess you would say like midwest emo derived punk bands um she has an album out called panacea um, which is on major streaming platforms. And she also has a handful of tracks on Bandcamp that are more noise-oriented. And my recommendation is very different from Brendan's. It is the Spider-Man games from that are on PS4 and PS5. I have been binging the Spider-Man games recently because I have been on very intense work travel and lots of homework, which is why we haven't recorded this frequently. It's nice to just swing around New York, have a great story, good gameplay, and just being Spider-Man. It's very wholesome. The games are fun. I'm currently on Spider-Man and Miles Morales, and the games just get more and more fun as I go. However, I do not want to buy a PS5, so I have to wait for Spider-Man 2 to be on PC. So Spider-Man games, have fun with them. They're great. If you want to get more direct content with us, feel free to access our website at czarpower.com. There you can find the show notes, pictures, bibliography, and vote on whether you think Mrs. Slav deserved the Kremlin or the Gulag. It's obviously the Gulag. She's worse than Igor. It also has links to our social media, which is just at ZarPowerPod. Zar is spelled how, Brendan? T-S-A-R. And if you'd like to support our show and help us expand and grow, feel free to su- subscribe to our Patreon to get access to bonus episodes for both Zar Power and the history of Sarkadavella, Georgia. Uh, we also have an Amazon book wish list paypal and coffee if you like to do something that's free leave a review on your favorite podcast host be it at apple spotify or something else you will eventually see it 
And before I head out, I just want to give thanks to our current members because we haven't been able to thank them in a while. First of all, I'd like to give thanks to Ben from Battle Royale. Um, give thanks to Audrey, also to Andrew, Mitch, Mitchell, um, Eric, Gerald, Hallie from Quest Friends. Um, Eric is also from Ranking 76, so thank you. Um, Hal the Legionnaire, Emily, Quinn from Noblesse Oblige, Mandy, our ever awesome artist, also f- to David from the Siecla podcast, who we actually haven't thanked because he is a new patron. So thank you, David, for supporting us. Thank you, David. Yep. Um, so that is all from me now. And I should say, Natsa Dosudent of Odyssey from me. And from me, Volosh Poros Diet Parazitov. Oh, wait. Also, before we put the intro music, we have a Patreon episode on Victor Tsoi coming out, who is the artist for our intro music. So look forward to that soon. Outro music. Outro music, yes. Victor Tsoi is our <laughs> outro music because he did not make Soviet Defenders of Moscow. Um, all right. Bye. Goodbye.